everyone and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast, a rather flat Winging It F1 podcast after a rather flat Belgian Grand Prix, but we will try to make it as interesting as possible and to join me with that is Eurosport's own Nigel Chu, who's just finished eating an apple to give it rev and himself And Total Motorsports, come on. All right, and Total Motorsport and not Marker anymore, uh, who's just finished an apple to rev himself up, give himself that sugar rush that he's going to need for today's episode. Nigel, how are you? Yeah, very well, folks. For the first time in quite a few Grand Prix weekends, I watched every F2, F3 and F1 race. So, and it wasn't, you know, well, the F1 wasn't great, but overall it was pretty good. And it made me love Spa as well. Uh, so, yeah, I've not done that fight probably since, I don't know, Austria or something. But, yeah, anyway, the viewers don't care about that. So, there we are. Oh, they might, you know, they tune in every week. So, yeah, let's care thank about Thank you something. for that as well, yeah. Yeah, thank you. thank you. We might maybe be on 1,500 listens for the last 30 days, I think. So, if you have listened at all in the last 30 days, then thank you very much for that because we do appreciate it. We put our time into it and it's nice to get that rewarded. So, yeah, thank you. Well, of course, very we put much. our time into it or else, like, how would we not? Yeah, good point. But, you know, <laughs> well, we could just do it and then send it off to an editor or something. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, thank you very, very much for listening and we're glad that you're enjoying it as much as we are, even if you didn't enjoy this Belgian Grand Prix. So, Max Verstappen won from 14th on the grid and it wasn't even close, really. He was within striking distance very early on, thanks to a good start and then an early safety car that we will talk about later. But yeah, it was just the for, you know, a driver starting th- three quarters to the back of the grid. It was a very easy win for Verstappen. I know. It's... This is just got to put this into context. We're saying a driver from 14th had an easy win. Like, that is, we shouldn't even be saying that. Even when Mercedes were dominant between 2014 and 2016, did Hamilton or Rosberg have easy wins when they started behind? You know, they didn't even win some. I I remember, you know, like Hamilton, oh, I can't remember what races, but. You know, he'd start at the back and he wouldn't win and he definitely wouldn't be at the front halfway through the race. You know, it's just it's just ridiculous. And in qualifying as well, to be half a second clear after just doing one lap in Q3. He did one lap in Q2 as well. And I think he did one lap in Q1. Did he do one or two? I can't remember. But either way, he, he was just... It was like Vettel in Singapore, I think, 10, 11 years ago. Now, Vettel in China it was... Uh, when he, he had an engine problem or something and he could only do one lap in each segment of qualifying. That's what Verstappen effectively did this weekend. And he just absolutely executed it perfectly, saved some soft tyres along the way as well. And yeah, in the race, I think we saw on lap one, I was watching him carefully on the way down to Eau Rouge. He was very cautious. You know, he, left, he left the margins of the car in front, you know, just to make sure he wasn't involved in any incidents. He wasn't. And then he had the best car and he made the most of it and some with some you know, phenomenal driving to beat Perez by such a big margin after starting 12 places, places behind. It's just not normal. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. I think Unfortunately, the championship is over because, you know, we needed Ferrari to come flying out of the blocks and it hasn't happened. Red Bull and Verstappen are just on another level, quite frankly. Yeah, it was... 
yeah, it, it's like you say, just that that whole package was just streets ahead of anything else on the grid today. And that's kind of all you can say for it. And Sainz saying after the race that he's hoping they'll be stronger in Van- Zandvoort, but then Red Bull should be on top again in Monza. So it's not Absolutely. even, you know, they're going to come out of this triple header with an even more extended points lead than they already had most likely. So, yeah, it's a bit, like I said, a bit flat after the race, just seeing the absolute dominance that Verstappen pulled off. And yeah, like you said, there's not really precedent for it in the last, you know, eight, eight or so years at least. So, yeah. I think, um, I think credit has to go to the team as well to build yeah. a car this good. I remember, you know, this time last year, people said, oh, Red Bull, they're putting not too much development into the 2021 car to try and beat, uh, you know, to try and win the championship, which they did. And then, you know, they still built, well, they now have the fastest car this weekend. Overall, you can probably probably say it's been 50-50 with Ferrari over the 14 races so far. So what the team have, have done, led by Adrian Newey, of course, but, you know, everyone else, the hundreds of people at, at Red Bull, they've done a amazing job to be, you know, win the championship last year and they're going to win the championship again this year, probably the constructors as well. So massive credit there. And the development path they're taking looks like it's a pretty good one because the upgrades that they had, you know, it's clearly, clearly put them a couple of steps ahead of Ferrari now. Mm. And, and you know, again, by the same token, then looking ahead to next season, they can, you know, already be on that path and getting a head start on all the other teams. So, yeah, a pretty good afternoon if you're working at the factory in Milton Keynes, but do you think there could have been anything different? Because to me, even if Leclerc had started first and Verstappen had started last, it would have been exactly the same result, which is the depressing thing. No, I think if that happens, I think it will be quite close. Uh, but, you know, yeah. there's no scenario where that was going to happen, was it? Because of Leclerc's grid penalties anyway. But uh, Well, Leclerc not yeah. taking the grid penalties would have. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, his engine blew up, blew, blew up in Spain and Azerbaijan when he was fighting for the win as well. But anyway, uh, no, I think it was quite quite clear Red Bull had the fastest car on the straights, even in the middle sector as well. Totally dominant. Uh, Verstappen just completely gelled with the car. I think straight from practice, he said on Friday that he immediately on his first lap, the car felt good. And when a car feels good in first practice on your first lap, yeah. That's exactly what you want. But rather than chasing the setup or trying to have a big swing with the setup to try and find some performance, Red Bull didn't need any of that. And even in the cool, cooler temperatures on Friday and Saturday, and then in the warm weather on the Sunday, it didn't. It didn't really matter what conditions that there were at Spa. Uh, the shopper was was always fastest. Uh, so yeah, it, there was no chance for anyone else. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. And and on Leclerc, how do you rate his race? He eventually finished sixth. He crossed the line fifth. But uh, I don't know. It's just a Ferrariism. They he came into fit for the fastest lap and then came out, was overtaken by Alonso and then had to go back and then get the fastest lap in the end. And then to cap all that off, he's now had a five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane, which drops him back behind Alonso. But aside from lap forty two onwards, how do you rate his race? Pretty quiet I think I think yeah. he would have expected to come through the field a bit faster perhaps uh obviously he had that tear off problem which meant he was at the very back for the first restart 
So, and from there, he was just always going to be on the back foot. I think a podium was all he needed another safety car really to get back into it, which he never got because when you're in traffic at the start of a uh, safety car so early in the race, just to get through those cars, you know, he, he was losing like two seconds a lap to, to the lead. So he just had too much to do to even get close to, to third. So a pretty quiet race. And then the thing at the end, I'm not even going to talk about, I mean, what, what are they doing? Like, yeah. honestly, it's just amateur. It's yeah. just, just poor. Yeah. I mean, we've put out a video of, of me talking about Ferrari strategy uh, on YouTube, which you should go and watch because it's uh, an interesting one, a very ranty one. <laughs> so, so yeah. That means Nigel's filters allotted time for ranting about Ferrari for today, at least. But... Yeah, come, come we'll tomorrow. Wait till next come, Sunday. For yeah, the next yeah. Zambolt Review will be back there again. But yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. I think the, yeah, the tear off issue really kind of set him back. But equally, I don't think it would have been that different in the end. I think, you know, like you said, he just didn't have the same cutting edge coming through that Verstappen did. And yeah, it was just a, a you know, another disappointing weekend for Leclerc. But again, you know, before, I don't think there's much, aside from the last few laps, I don't, you know, I don't think there's too much that could have done differently. Really? Do we do we think, I think we should talk about this now, the technical directive that's been introduced this weekend, has that dropped Ferrari back a bit? Or is it just a track-specific thing? Because before the summer break, it was pretty level, wasn't it? Um, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, but I well, we'll, I we'll have to see more races, of course. But from this yeah. one race, it does look like you know Ferrari fall back a little bit. Yeah, I I don't know between I don't know Red Bull working over the summer break. It's a track that I thought would play into their hands anyway at Spa. So this it's diffi- margin though. Well, that that's the thing that's kind of difficult to quantify. But yeah, I think I think it's too early. I don't think it's made the kind of catastrophic difference that some people were making out. I think that's, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say that. And I think, I think wait and see, I, you know, I don't think it's margin. I, I think if there is any difference between Ferrari and Rebel, I think it's marginal. I don't, I think, you know, this was, yeah. I, yeah. I think it would have suited, suited Rebel anyway. And I guess maybe comparing Sainz and Perez, no, I, I don't. I don't think there's that much definitively there yet. But what yeah. do you do? You disagree? Uh, I want to disagree. I think. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. We do have to see more races. I just expected Ferrari to be a bit more competitive. I think mm. uh, it's difficult to distinguish between upgrades and this technical director because, yeah, and even the teams won't really know. I think so. That's what the difficulty is. It's just. You know, for those who don't know, Red Bull and Ferrari were those were the teams that were said to be targeted for this. I uh, George Russell was uh, alluding that Ferrari and Red Bull were doing something with her flaws uh, before the Hungarian Grand Prix. He said Mercedes would be closer, which obviously hasn't happened. Uh, so, yeah, it's difficult to say. I don't think it has changed anything overall. I think it's just a matter of the track, the conditions, Verstappen, upgrades. Meaning Red Bull have jumped ahead a bit, I think. And and on that, do you think Mercedes will be disappointed 
that they hadn't taken a bigger step forward. So I didn't, again, like I didn't, I think I said in the preview, I didn't think this would really play to their strengths that they had even before the summer break. But even so, they did seem to have gone backwards, if any movement, to be honest. 100%. 100%. We know the straight line speed is the weakness, so set to one, set to three, they were always going to be weak. But set to two, the middle sets were just high speed corners. They were still half a second behind Verstappen. And that is meant to be, meant to be where, the, where they can at least match Red Bull. So, and that, you know, that's what we saw at Silverstone, another high speed circuit, which has high, which has high speed corners. Sorry, yeah. They were a long way off. I mean, Hamilton, 1.8 seconds around in qualifying. It was stunned at it, quite frankly. Uh, so, bad weekend for Mercedes. I think the cooler conditions, for me, I, I'm seeing a trend now where, where colder weather, Mercedes are struggling, and warmer weather, they're, they're a bit closer to the front two teams. That is, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, in fact, yeah, I'd say that's quite definitive now. I'd say is that's Silverstone that cold? No, it's hot. That's what I'm saying. The no, warmer sorry, that, weather, yeah, that's what better. I mean. It didn't, was it that hot? Yeah, I think it's, oh, grass was yellow, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a hot I, summer's day, I thought, as it was done. <laughs> I don't know, but we'll come Start come July. Yeah, I don't really remember the heat wave. I, I, I moved down to London. Wave. I moved down to London on that weekend, and it was quite, it was quite hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely above 25, at least. It certainly wasn't like, right. it definitely okay. wasn't like 15 or something. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do think Mercedes in the colder weather, struggle a bit more. So that contributed to what we saw with a poor with a poor qualifying uh, performance. But, uh, yeah, it's not looking good for them if they want to win one race this week, uh, this year, this season. Yeah, and I think, I you know, I thought Zanvoort might be one where they might be more competitive, but if they're this... I think they will. Yeah, I think they, they will, but... You know, I was thinking more competitive as in having, you know, Hungaroring, maybe being able to mix it for a race rim win rather than more competitive, maybe being able to beat, you know, Sainz and Perez for their place. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to see. But, um, yeah, I think the signs aren't as good as they might have hoped. And since we're on Mercedes, do you want to talk about the Alonso-Hamilton <laughs> incident briefly? I mean, I think it was pretty clear from the replay that it was Hamilton's fault. Yeah, I mean, he even admitted himself yeah. uh, in an interview that it was. Uh, after last year's... I dozed off while that was going on. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> yeah. uh, after last year's Silverstone incident, which we're not allowed to talk about because me and Adam completely disagree on it. You mean uh, you after last year's back. racing incident? <laughs> no, after last year's Silverstone incident. Uh, well, anyway, I said one of my reasons that it wasn't for Sapphire Tour was because all the drive... In a Side by side move going into a corner, all the drive, all the yeah, the driver on the outside, all they have to do to not have a penalty is leave enough space. That's exactly what Houghton didn't do. He didn't leave enough space. In my opinion, I would have given him a free grid place penalty. I mean, he got he was out of the race anyway, but I think a grid penalty would have been fine. Uh, but equally, him not getting one, okay, fair, fair enough as well. But I would have been tempted to do that. If that happened with Leclerc, I think he gets a penalty. With Leclerc? No, if, if Leclerc, if Hamilton did that to Leclerc, I think he gets a penalty. If Hamilton did that to Leclerc? I think if there's a higher profile driver involved. Oh, right. You just said a random driver. I'm like, what are you, yeah, what are you yeah. talking oh, about? Yeah. No, not, not, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think if there's a higher, drive, high, higher profile driver involved, then Hamilton gets that penalty, to be honest. Right. I don't. 
Yeah, I, I think it was. God, I wonder who's high profile, mate. <laughs> Top <Alpino>. three driver. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, yeah, I, I think he's unlucky. I don't know whether can they review it or can they uh, appeal it. They whatever. can't appeal sporting, uh, right? Like non. Uh, yeah, I can't. I, they can't. I can't remember right. what well, but they can't. So, well, that's a lucky escape for Hamilton, I think. But again, you know, it's not. I don't to, think be, to be fair, he's not had many. He's had very, very few uh, things where he's been at fault like this over yeah. his career. Like one or two a season, which is you know really mm. some like zero. I think like 2018 or 2017. So yeah, you know, and it didn't put Alonso out either. Yeah, although he did have quite a bit of damage on so didn't he? I mean, uh, yeah, but I'm I'm thinking like last season it was like Bottas a Hungara ring, uh, Verstappen at Monza that were the big incidents that led to grid place penalties, and they were both when they put other drivers out rather than being able to continue. So yeah, yeah. but yeah, I think yeah, I think it's one of those. I don't think he would have been able to do too much anyway. It, you know, I mean, Russell was quite close to science towards the end. Uh, I, I think Houghton could have got third today. I think actually, he missed out on a possible podium, I think. Yeah, I'd forgot. I've, well, I'd, I'd lost all interest in the race by then. But yeah, no, actually, that's a good... I think it made, made Perez's job a bit easier, but I don't think that really affected anything he would have gone through. Yeah, no, that's a good point, actually, I think. He would have been, what, second behind science? Yeah. So he would have been two or three places ahead of Russell. And then let's say he does his amazing tire management, has a yeah. little bit more pace. I think third was definitely yeah. on the cards, I think. No, I think that's a good good call, actually. And uh, yeah, just, I don't know, one, one that got away for them. Speaking of third, Carlos Sainz, finished third from pole position. Is you know, the, do you think there's any way you could have beaten Perez? No, there's nothing more you could do. I think for, for Sainz, Ferrari got the strategy spot on, even for Leclerc before the lap 42. Yeah. I think Ferrari's strategy was pretty much spot on, actually, before, before that. Uh, because he was the first one to pit. That was because they were in their head. They thought they could fight Red Bull, so they had to prevent the undercut. So they did the right thing by pitting. In the end, it didn't really matter what he was going to do, if, you know, if he went longer or not, because he didn't have the pace. So I think for the race situation they were in, Ferrari did the right thing for science and science looks like he had a pretty solid weekend not impressive because he had qualified it was quite a way off for Stappen uh, so yeah it was a solid weekend for him uh, yeah nothing more he could do third place was the maximum and Perez we, we've talked about this a fair bit over the summer break and just before the summer break but he was a long way off for Stappen do you think there's, you know, how much blame do you put? Do you think he needs to be worried? Uh, no, I don't think he has to be worried. I think because he's got his seat, you know, secure for next year, definitely. And then yeah. he's contracted for next for next two years. So I don't think he does. I think he knows deep down. I think mean, everyone knows. On a, more often than not, Verstappen is a few tenths quicker than Perez. And that's what we saw. Uh it's not right that your teammate starts 12 places behind and finishes 18 seconds ahead at the end. It shouldn't be happening. But it's just, 
it's kind of what everyone expected. Like before the race, yeah. every Verstappen was the favourite by many, and that's just stupid. A guy who's 14 is the favourite for the race, yeah, and that just shows where Perez is at. He's just not as good as Verstappen on most tracks, and I think the way I think Verstappen earlier in the season didn't quite gel or understand the car as Perez did, and that's why they were closer. But over the last five, six races now, this margin has been pretty constant. So I think this is just a repeat of what we've seen or what we saw in France or in Hungary. Those those kind of races where the staff was three or four attempts faster than Perez. And you know, we should maybe you could you could say we should be criticizing now, but it's always become it's become very normal, just like Bottas against Hamilton. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think there was, you know, even even at Hamilton's peak, Bottas would still out-qualify him on occasion or be able to get close on occasion. I just don't... I'd, I'd, yeah, I don't think he should be worried about his seat next season, obviously, because that's sewn up. But there's just something like, you know, it is, it's a long time since he's been competitive against Verstappen, I think. And to me, that is a bit of a worry. But equally, we, we never or no one really criticised it him for him, it, you know, should we? Or Because for me with Perez, I always look at his result. He's, he's the only driver, I think, on the grid where I look at his result rather than his performance because that's what's more important for Red Bull. It doesn't matter if he's second and 30 seconds behind or three seconds behind, really. So, but again, that he's, he's the only outlier where, where I look at a driver like that because I, I just, well, there's just no hope for him, you know, to to you know, at least put up a championship fight or you know do something. Yeah, no, I, I agree on the championship fight, but I just think like he's not, he's not just being competitive against Verstappen, and mm. you know if that's if that continues or it just seems to be getting worse. And you know in terms of results, this was his first podium in four races since Silverstone. So yeah, I I, I just think. If this carries on, it's going to start weighing heavily. And I think psychologically, I know he, you know, he's not going to be expecting to be, or, well, yeah, he's a racing driver, but I think he'll know that it's not the end of the world if he's not beating Verstappen every week. But, you know, I do, I do think if he is getting crushed like this, that's not yep. going to. As, as long as wonders. it's not costing Red Bull the, the Constructors' Championship, it's fine. I think mm. that's, that's the only thing. Last year, yeah, you could probably make the argument Perez did potentially cost Red Bull the constructors. Although personally, I think Mercedes had the fastest car, so they deserved it. I, I, I think Red Bull's just, mindset cost Red yeah, Bull the yeah, constructors. Yeah, last year you know it was unique. Red Bull did wanted to drive us more anyway, but this year Perez definitely isn't costing Red Bull the constructors. I mean, they've had four one twos this season. That's pretty decent for a team that's not exactly dominated this season yes they were dominant on Sunday but not the whole season so uh, yeah I think for him as long as he's getting second or third it doesn't matter how far behind he is or how much he's out qualified by as long as he can qualify the first couple rows finish second or third he's doing the perfect job I think yeah well we'll uh, you know I, I think yeah we'll have to well I say we'll have to see, but it is. I mean, the constructors' championship looks over now as well. well it, yeah, exactly. So it's not. <laughs> so... I I guess it's a bit racing in a vacuum for Perez now. You know, he wants to get keep getting the results, but 
it, I guess it's already maybe about building towards next season, weirdly enough. Absolutely. But yeah, this strange position to be in for Sergio Perez. But like we say, he's got his seat locked down for next season, which is a relief to him at least. And from one former McLaren Spanish speaker, no, fuck that up. <laughs> go on. Yeah, go on. And from one Spanish-speaking former McLaren driver to another, Fernando Alonso, as we mentioned, with Leclerc, finished fifth in the end, even with the potential damage from the Hamilton incident. Mm. How do you... I mean, you know, it seems a pretty good return. Started third, slid back as two faster drivers came up. He was out of the running at the front. Well, he had a good start, actually, and then what happened with Hamilton happened, and that was that. But, yeah, good race for Nando. Yeah, pretty good race. I think, to be honest, I think Ocon was better though this weekend, beating him in qualifying yeah. uh, before his penalty. And then to, for Ocon to get to where he was, I think Ocon was the better driver. I've not said that many times this season. We had a big, uh, we had a podcast a few weeks ago talking about Ocon and how, you know, has his stock kind of, uh, let's say, plateaued a bit. But if he keeps performing, like this is, this is the performance he needs to be doing every weekend, you know, really against Alonso, if he can. Because uh, I don't think we've seen that outright speed enough. But we saw it at Spa this weekend. So, yeah, Ocon was great. Alonso was not quite at his best, but it's difficult to, you know, rate a driver when they've got bits of the front wing, you know, dangling and flying about. But then, you know, he's still got fifth, which was the best he could have done anyway. So, uh no, it didn't really matter. But yeah, in terms of you know head to head to head performance, Ocon was the better driver of the Alpine pair this, this weekend. Ocon was closer to Perez than Perez was to Verstappen in qualifying. Yeah, I, th- oh. I think I, th- I think that's what I mean. Yeah, just with Alonso, like he he did the best that he could do with a damaged car, got ahead of Leclerc at the end. But even staying within range of Leclerc, I think was pretty good considering he had the whole race to go with that. And yeah, on Ocon again, I think he was only about six tenths off finishing ahead of Leclerc after that penalty was applied. So yeah, I, I agree. I agree on him. It was a, it was a great weekend and maybe at Monza, we could see, you know, good, good performance from Ocon. It depends where Mercedes are. And obviously there won't be the other grid penalties, but I think he could be a top five candidate for that race. Yeah. So, um, I think Spa has always been a good track for Ocon. Uh, he got that second row start in 2018 in the wet for racing point as it was called then uh, like it was just as the Paris. oh was that the same weekend that's a good point that I can't remember but anyway on that weekend he qualified like third or fourth this one like Lance uh, Lawrence Stroll took over the team after the Force India uh, debacle uh, and then in, even in Formula 3 and that kind of thing race against Verstappen then he was very strong so it's always been one of Ocon's best tracks. Uh, so hopefully he can replicate that in Zandvoort and then in Monza when they get Alpine with the very good straight line speed. They've done a great job with the new engine that they've got this year. Uh, they can do something similar, you know, perhaps challenge Mercedes if Mercedes, uh, you know, are genuinely struggling. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think their, their engine's been a bit underrated over the past few seasons. But yeah, this season it seems to be really strong and yeah I you know I'm, I'm excited for them to see how they do but moving back through the order Ocon actually got a pretty good double over well yeah it was it was decent a good double overtake on Vettel and Gasly going into uh, at the end of the Camel Straight 
um, which was fun for him. But yeah, those two drivers that we talked about, Vettel finished ahead in the end. And I don't really know, it's a bit of a strange race for Vettel again. Like he's, he's done this a few times this season where I, he finishes in the points. Now, how did he do that? So Nigel, how did he do that? Well, it wasn't a good qualifier because he got knocked out in Q1, but then because of all the grid penalties, he started 10th, so it looks like, you know, oh, he's got a decent starting position, but it was actually yeah. not a great qualifier again. But yeah, basically, he, whilst a lot of drivers went medium, medium, he went medium, hard, then medium. And he was in that train with uh, which Album was holding up in the, in the middle of the race, but then I think he managed through the pit stop phase and with a few overtakes as well, he managed to jump that Albon train and that's how he ended up uh, getting behind, uh, finishing behind Ocon. So, yeah, a mixture of uh, strategy uh, and a couple of then overtakes at the right time got into that position. So, uh, yeah, in terms of the result, great. In terms of the performance, qualifying poor, race pretty good. Fair enough. And Pierre Gasly, who started the race from the pit lane, I believe. Yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah. Do you think that's weird that both alphas decided to wait until after qualifying to do their part change? Uh, where did they qualify? What was it? So Gasly qualified, or well, Snowden was 19th, so that's understandable because he's 19th anyway. So, you know, you might as well take more. And then Gasly 12th. So, uh, I don't know, a little, a little bit strange. But did it? So, yeah, maybe they could have got a few more points for Gasly if he didn't do that. So, yeah, that was a bit strange. But then for his race, he pitted his, he did his second final pit stop on lap 22. So, halfway through the race. And then he did a long stint on the mediums and basically undercut about four or five different drivers. Uh, and that's how he got into, was it ninth from the end, Adam? Uh, yeah, ninth. Yeah, so that's how he got ninth. He basically pitted, did his last stop quite early, managed to use the fresh rubber, and then held on at the end. So a great little stint from Gazi there. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it just seems a bit weird to pass up. Where would yeah. they have started? Like seventh, eighth to, yeah, drop to the back. I mean, there were... People saying it was a Red Bull conspiracy, which I quite like, to be honest. So I'm just going to count that as the truth. But yeah. I'm not, um, that's the first I've heard of that. I've had to, I didn't even think of that. Oh, I think De Resta broached it in commentary and then again in the race. but um, Or in qualifying and then again in the race. But yeah, I think, well, you know, hopefully, hopefully it will do them good commander. But again, I think, you know, they, they would hope to be doing better, I think. Alphatari and they don't seem to have made yeah. that step forward really over the summer break, which isn't Absolutely. entirely. Sorry, I was just going to say. I mean, Gazi hasn't scored points for such a long time now. All the way since I'm just looking out, Azerbaijan was his last point score. So that's that says it all. <laughs> yeah, and he did. I think it was him came out, you know, talking about how he did expect to be be quicker and have a different second half of the season. And again, that doesn't seem to materialise. But like you say, a decent race from the drivers. One of you rounding out the top 10, Alexander Alban qualified sixth, slipped back, but or, well, qualified into Q3 and then was 
sixth on the grid when all the penalties came through and managed to hold on to that top 10. I think a pretty good performance from Albon, better than Latifi, who we said needed to have a big back nine of the season and crashed on the second lap. So, yeah, not not great for him. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And anything to add on Albon's weekend? I think it's just a good... No, it's just a continuation of what he's done, Antio. He was eight temps faster than Latifi in Q1. And then to get into Q3... Is a- great achievement if if he didn't have his and then in race obviously uh he the Williams had great straight line speed so even though so he was basically just holding up a train of cars and even though they had DRS they just couldn't get anywhere near because of the straight line speed of the slippy Williams which, which we've seen in the past over the years you know in the early years of the turbo hybrid era 2014-2015 when they have when it, you know with the Mercedes engine but yeah. also aerodynamically the Williams was very strong in a straight line so it seems like that philosophy has worked perfectly at Spa should do again at Monza in, in two weeks time and Albon made the most of it so he did well no mistakes as well which is what you have to do and when when you've got that car where you can't do much in the middle sector but then you can just uh, use your straight line speed yeah you can just use your, your straight line speed to stay ahead in sector one sector three you just got to keep it super clean and then you can you can you know keep everyone behind like that. I mean the McLaren's just they couldn't even get anywhere near at all. They were miles behind, even with DRS. So yeah, great job from Albon then. Yeah, it's just a continued continuation of what we've seen. If you didn't have that stint at Red Bull in uh, twenty twenty, then we will be seeing getting into a top car. But <laughs> unfortunately, he has, uh, and he's doing all, all the right things again. Yeah, and he signed to Williams for is it three years or just multi year? Yeah, I can't remember. But I mean, is he going to stay there for three years? Probably not. So, yeah, fair uh, point. Um, yeah, I think I had something completely lined up to say on Albon and then completely. Oh, yeah, he, he was a thorn in the side for the leaders pitting as well. I think, especially Leclerc, as always, oh, he doesn't want to get stuck behind Albon. And early in the race, I think that was the case for the top two as well. So, yeah, good performance. From Albon and, as you say, Williams' car forming well, and we'll see for Monza. Is there any other drivers you want to pick up on before we go on to the wider Spa news? Uh, I don't think so. I think everyone else is kind of what we expected. McLaren, again, similar to Mercedes, a straight line speed is a weakness, and I think overall the McLaren is they've just got a bit conservative with this car, I feel. That's, that's kind of what I felt in Bahrain when they had that shocking season opener that then they recovered, but the car just doesn't have the downforce, I think. I think it's just missing a lot of pure grip there. And then everyone else, Haas and the Alpha Romeo drivers, yeah, that's what I expected. So no surprises there. The grid penalties was a bit of a mess, I thought, on Saturday because we didn't even know, uh, even after qualifying, with, we, we didn't even know the full grid then, which is a bit of a pain. I saw a lot of criticism about it, but I don't think there's much of a solution. I mean, they can maybe make the rules a bit clearer and just say, you know, if you take more than a 15-grid place penalty or 20-grid place penalty, you start it out the back and then you do it in qualifying order, which is what ended up happening, but there was confusion about Ferrari doing the, uh, finding a loophole in the rules and that kind of thing so they could start further ahead and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it was just all a bit pointless at the end uh so yeah just that 
Do you think there's anything to be said to adding an extra engine into the pool and reducing the impact of that? They're doing that next year anyway, as the number of races goes up, but adding another one in so that you're not having, because engine penalties are effectively an inevitability for, you know, nearly all drivers and all teams. So do you think there is something to be said, you know, they have, it's not, it's not where they're bringing a new driver to, uh, sorry, a new engine to every every race or they have kind of cut down on that but do you think that what yeah what do you think that has merit to add in an extra one would you be advocating that i thought for the last five or six years they should be using six or seven engines as the limit probably six now because what we want to see in f1 is the drivers and the teams and the cars pushing to the limit having the six engines means they're going to be pushing more. We see the best of it, but we see the best of the cars rather than the drivers, you know, conserving with engine modes and that kind of thing. So we get to see them battling more in practice. They'll go out, you know, onto the track perhaps a bit more than they do, you know, rather than saving the engine. Uh, so for me, I would bump it up to six, six engines just so that we see less of these grid penalties and the engines themselves can be used harder because we want to see the best of everything in F1. Mm. That's what it should be. It should be the, the pinnacle as it is. So, yeah, I've, I've always always had that opinion that we should have, you know, a lot more usage rather than three, which is just, just stupidly low. Like, yeah. So, yeah, five or six is what I'd do if, 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 if it was me. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't really think there's that. You know, they say they want to encourage reliability and team prioritizing reliability. But, you know, you still, if you've got six engines, you know, you, you still lose out per race if one of them blows. That's yeah. where Ferrari have been. That's where they, you know, that's why they're so far behind this season is reliability. It's not then the fact that they're having to take penalties now. So I think five or six still has that element where, you know, it penalizes you if one does go pop, but it's not. Yeah, it's it's not where engine penalties are in inevitability, and we know we're going to be talking to them and trying to calculate when's the best time to take them and stuff like that. I just, I don't know. I'm not not a massive fan of that, and yeah, I think it you know it, it adds a kind of interesting element in when you've got a top six of a Ferrari, Rebel, or Williams, and uh, uh, Alpine and two Mercedes. But you know, I just it's a bit, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just not really a fan of that. I think they can expand it and still keep the principles that they want to keep there. Plus, to say the the reason they say they they have this limit of three engines uh, is because is to save cost. But back in the factories on the dinos, they've got dozens of engines going around, you know, until they break. So they've you know they've got the engines there anyway. Anyway, mm. in the factories, just shove it into the car. Like they've the you know the, they've got them there. So you might yeah. as well kind of used them for competition rather than back in the factory so you know i'm i'm sure it's saving costs a bit but if they've got the engines there is it really saving yeah on, on the grand scheme sure? the manufacturing element of it is you know such a relatively small part of the overall cost of running an f1 team you know it's not once they've got the design yeah. in place then you know it's it's not really that significant whether they're making an extra one or two or not and they're taking it up to four for next season anyway so yeah both agree on that and final piece of news is spa will stay on the calendar for 2023 
which this wasn't the best race to advertise Spa's merits. But Nigel, what was your reaction to that news? Yeah, it wasn't. But I think, as I said, watching pretty much every race this weekend, all the sport races and the F1, it, it was, I mean, one main reason for it is because it was Spa. And having the gravel traps back, it, you know, it, it, for me, it, it bumps the track right up there to, you know, top three on the calendar of the tracks that we've got so far. It really is a challenge still, I think, I mean, even more so now with the gravel and the high-speed nature of it. Having cars, whenever cars go side-by-side side going into Oru's, I always hold my breath. because I'm just, I'm just kind of worried there's gonna, you know, they're going to make contact and there's going to be a massive accident. So there's, there's that kind of thrill, which no other circuit you kind of get, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it's fantastic news. Uh, it should always be on the calendar. There should never be any doubt about tracks like Spa, Monza, Silverstone. They have to be on the schedule, uh, not just because of the history, but you know, having permanent tracks rather than having too many street circuits, which I do fear F1 might be, you know, getting to a stage with, you know, Jeddah joining. Uh, they're thinking about making a Qatar track as well. And then we've got Miami joined this year, Las Vegas next year. I think we did, we need these permanent, great high-speed tracks on the on the schedule. So Spa has to stay. And there's, there's always a good atmosphere as well. You always get thousands of Dutch people and people from the UK go as well. So, uh, yeah, very good news. Hopefully there's no doubt about it in the future, but I'm sure there will because money talks. <laughs> Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I would say on the street circuits, we've got maybe a better quality of street circuits than we have in a while. You know, you've got Jeddah has produced good racing as much as we don't like the fact that F1 races there. It has produced good racing. Monaco's Monaco, Baku's produced plenty of drama and S- Singapore's pretty well liked as well. So, yeah, I, I think I... But to your wider point, yeah, I think Spa needs to stay because there needs to be that balance. There needs to be that link to the 1950 F1 season, to the genesis of F1 and to the old racing and still keeping it cutting edge today and having, you know, there's not that many really traditional tracks there, but having Spa there like Silverstone, like Monza, like Monaco, I think really does bring that element. It is a bit Mm. of a worry that it's been so dull for so long though. Yes, I think... It's having such a long straight. Like, such a long, flat-out section, and then there's not a chance to repass afterwards, which is what you get at, say, Interlagos. We were discussing that earlier, where you've got that big drag up from the final corner all the way up the hill, but then you back that up through the centre with another straight where you can try and get past again. So there's not that kind of... If you get past it, the camel straight, you're through, effectively. Yeah, I think... I'm not sure why the races have panned out like this. It is a small coincidence, I think, but because hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it, it always seems to be thinking that, you know, thinking back to previous spa races, the, the top team or one of the top teams always has the strongest engine. And then that means they're always ahead more than normal, you know, thinking back to, you know, this year or this year's race, 2019 with Leclerc, then, you know, when Mercedes have won in 2018, 2017, sorry, Vettel won in 2018, when Ferrari still had a strong engine then, then Hamilton with his win in 2017. So I don't know if it's just the nature of the track because it's so power 
sensitive. And in F1, it's very rare that two engine manufacturers are so close at the top, apart from last year. But then last year, obviously, we didn't get a spa race or like a proper spa race. So whereas over the last 10 years, there's always been an engine manufacturer. This year, it's Honda slash Red Bull powertrains that are at the top. So I think that is the reason why you know, at the front, there isn't much action. But then in the midfield, where well, everything's a lot closer, naturally, we always get lots of overtaking and action. So I think that is the only reason why. But then you can say, oh, Bahrain is power sensitive and we always get good races there. So mm. I think you have got a good point that the layout of it should, you know, isn't creating good racing. But then, oh, sorry, I'm going on for ages here. But, you, no, but then you can argue through Blanchimont, you know, that's a flat out section. Then you got the home straight and then you got the straight down to Rouge, and then you got the straight to the Kemmel straight. Like, all of that should mean we get loads of good side-by-side action, but we don't. I think maybe because we don't see much overtaking at the bus stop into the final chicane, like it's, it's, also, it's almost like the drivers just wait for the Kemmel straight, knowing that they could just breeze by there rather than doing it on the brakes at, at the bus stop. I think that is another factor, I think. Yeah, I I think with the, with the end of the lap, then it is still, there is still that racing line that it's beneficial to be on, like you say, through through Lacombe, through Blanchemont and up to the bus stop, she came through the final left hander before that. Then there is that there's still that ideal line to be on. And if you want to kind of go to the outside, then it's a bit it's certainly more hair raising. Whereas once you get onto the straight, it is just a flat out drag and you can't really do anything to defend on that. So I think that's where the kind of problem arises. And yeah, I just I, I don't really know what what there is to be done about it I think maybe having don't have DRS if there's any track well, where you shouldn't have DRS I think it's Spa I th- yeah if there's any track which you know obviously they're never going to do but if you get a trial mm. this is the track to do it on yeah yeah that's it, it will still be there with the with the slipstream but yeah I yeah no that's a good yeah that's a good shout that's what they should do decided mm. boom yeah yeah, John Top, if you're watching, there you go. John Top, <laughs> you mean yeah. Mohammed Benzel, so I am. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm still stuck in the past. But anyway, yeah, um, one of those. Also, like, can we stop? Can Sky Sports stop talking about last year as if it wasn't anything other than a farce? Like, please, it's not. It's like, oh yeah, we got this. Like, oh, it's a great trivia question. Oh, we shortest race in F1 history. It's utter farce. And yeah, I just brought up all of those recurring memories. It was. A shit, well, it wasn't, you know, it was a shit event and, uh, yeah, not a fan of that and the way that people just keep dancing around it. I hate. So, finish that on an angry note. Thank you very much for listening. We will have a Dutch Grand Prix preview coming out in a couple of days' time and the uh, Contract Arbitration Council, which definitely isn't the official name of it, will be meeting tomorrow to discuss Piastri's contract and where he's going to be driving next season. I've seen something saying it's expected to take a few days. So if that happens before uh, we record our preview, then we'll we'll talk about it then. If not, then we will talk about it as soon as it happens, as long as work or travelling or whatever, which is very probable. But And follow us on Twitter on Adam Dickinson or Ward and Nigel C. Journal and at Wigan F1 and Freddy's is at Fred99. Way off. Fred there we go. Fred, yeah. Is it Freddy Coates or Fred Coates? I always, Fred get, Coates. I always get it mixed, mixed up. 
There we go. I can't remember. Well, there we go. That was a chaotic he's, game. He's, he's enjoyed his holiday, hasn't he? <laughs> he certainly is, yeah. Just sent us. Just... We're working hard on this podcast. Mm. Talking life one. Whatever his latest tweet is, just reply, hey, Freddie, I'm glad you're enjoying your holiday. But, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, follow us on Spotify, give us a rating, subscribe to us on YouTube, like the video, all of that good stuff. But until Zanvor in, or as Zanvor preview in a few days, we're going to say thank you very much and goodbye.